View from the Lock is a series of podcasts with people associated within the golf industry. I'm the host, Bill Donald, uh, General Manager of Loch Lomond Golf Club in Scotland. Feedback is always welcomed, either by following my Twitter account, at BillDonald1, that's at BillDonald1, Donald, D-O-N-A-L-D, or by email, bill.donald at lochlomond.com, L-O-C-H-L-O-M-O-N-D, Loch Lomond, in the heart of Scotland. Our first podcast is with Dame Laura Davis, four-time major winner, uh, also winner of 87 other tournaments and really the number one golfer to come out of Europe uh, ever in golf's history. Uh, absolutely fabulous person and has a fantastic insight into the world of golf. Twice European Ryder Cup captain Katrina Matthew, known as Beanie, uh, from Scotland, uh, also shares her views uh, on golf and in particular the Sohan Cup. And world number 15, Charlie Hull, breezes in later on uh, in the podcast and uh, gives some of her views as well uh, on golf and her laid back, I think, um, sort of style that uh, seems to fit in with uh, today's golfer. I hope you enjoy. Well, I mean, isn't this incredible? We've got Katrina Matthew and Dame Laura Davis joining us here at View from the Lock at Lock Lomond Golf Club, which you can see Ross Two House uh, behind me, the famous Ross Two House. And Laura, you, you've literally this morning just got off the plane from Sawgrass and the players. Scotty Scheffler, four years ago, he was 62nd in the Louisiana Open on the Corn Ferry Tour. And now he's just passed $30 million uh, in the PGA. You know, what has happened with this guy? He's just absolutely sensational. Yeah, he had that incredible run the start of last year when he won those four tournaments very quickly. And uh, he had a bit of a lull, didn't he? He kind of disappeared. I'm sure his finishes were good. He just wasn't winning. And then he, he lit it up again at Phoenix and had an incredible finish to hold off the other two. that were Well, there were three or four of them going down the stretch. Um, and then last yeah. week, we, he was in the past. Once, once Rory was, uh, had missed the cut, um, John Rahm um, obviously had to withdraw for health reasons. He kind of just cruised along, cruised along and then hit the go button, had those five birdies round the turn, and that was the end of that. Yeah, he was never going to give that up uh, based on past record. And then, of course, we've got Terrell Hatton at the turn five under. Uh, I mean, it was still a decent $143,000 in his pocket, shot 69, finished at 2.7 million. And I mean, what a finish. That birdie at the 18th was sensational. Is this Terrell moving to the next level? Well, it's, it's, it's his bank accounts moving to the next level because that was incredible. <laughs> <laughs> Funnily enough, on the same, well, I was on the same flight as Tyrrell coming home and he still had a big grin on his face. I can't work out why. No, he, he was sensational, wasn't he? Um, he said it in his interview with Henny at the end of his round. He had no pressure, whereas the other guys were coming into that back nine trying to win it. He was just trying to have a decent finish. And then the wind got up and second place he was easily second in the year. I know it was shot-wise, maybe only one or two, but um, sure. they just got in and couldn't play it in the afternoon, apart from obviously Scotty Scheffler just hit a great wedge in and made it look easy yet again. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm just wondering, is this Terrell, did he buy you a drink, by the way, Laura? No, he didn't. I, I only said, all I said, I did, all I said, well done, great, great week, I think I said, or something. Yeah, he was there with his missus and, uh, yeah, didn't, didn't want to interrupt him on his flight. But, uh, no, oh. he's uh, he's very, um, he's he's one of those characters, isn't he? You, you never quite know if he's, well, you do, you know exactly how he's going and you often wonder, if he was a bit calmer, a bit more like Scotty Scheffler, would he be better? And probably the answer to that's no. That's just his character. And it's fun to watch now. I used to think, oh, he's a bit too much. But I don't think he is. I think it's all a bit tongue in cheek. And this could be this could fire him up to the, the next level. And, and hopefully over the next few months with all these majors and big events coming along, he can win one. Yeah, I mean, let's hope so. I kind of agree with you, Laura. You know, the temperament side of things. Uh, just maybe felt slightly a, a bit out of control, but actually, you know, he ch seems to channel it, uh, I think, uh, and uh, all of a sudden, four or five birdies appear from nowhere, and, uh, you know, that's exciting as a golf fan, that's what you want to see, uh, and yeah, I guess you want to see a bit of passion as well, so, you know, let's hope that uh, we see him in the winner's enclosure uh, on one of the majors uh, quite soon. Um, and Katrina, you're known as Beanie, uh, to uh, a lot of people within the game. And how did that name come about? Yeah, just a, a kind of odd story, really. One of my two older brothers and uh, with a, one of them couldn't say Katrina when he was little. And my dad, for some unknown reason, I've never did ask him actually, called me Trini Beanie. And Beanie uh -huh. stuck. So um, he's kind of been called that all through school. Uh, lots of teachers called me it. So just kind of stuck from very young age. I think Beanie's better than Trini, so uh, hopefully that's yeah. not too bad. Yeah, I've my brother's fault. <laughs> yeah, I've often wondered. I've often wondered why. Well, there we go. I, you know, it's it's a uh, you know families do kind of come up with this sort of stuff, and and it really has stuck uh, through to now and beyond. And and the other thing is about families, of course, Katrina. Your your hubby, you know, Graham was your caddy. Um, and, you know, that's a scenario that a lot of people would find quite stressful, really. Uh, but obviously there was a magic sauce there. Um, so how did that work? And how did that work for you guys? I don't, you? I don't know if it was a magic sauce, but uh, obviously we met at university and, um, you know, I turned pro after that. And he went on and qualified as a CA and we decided, um, you know, to come out and caddy or we'd never really see each other. So he gave up and came to caddy for me and then caddied probably for about 15 to 20 years for me uh, before uh, the children were old enough to go to school and then he stayed at home but um, I mean I was lucky it, it worked we were I mean obviously it had its moments and we had uh, a few quiet nights and uh, choice words uh, shouted at each other occasionally but um, you know I was quite fortunate I had a fairly steady career and not many ups and downs so um, you know I think if I'd been struggling and it would have been a lot harder, but uh, luckily, you know, I was fairly steady most of my career, which made it um, a little bit better. But it worked out yeah. well for us. I mean, I wouldn't have wanted it any other way, to be honest. Yeah, well, I mean, and you can sort of tell that as well. And, you know, and the sort of trilogy of family, um, I guess, stories, I mean, winning the Women's British Open at the fabulous Royal Lytham and Sedans, which I love personally, and love that whole area, uh, was probably the highlight I would have thought of your hugely successful career, but you'd given birth to your second child 11 weeks prior. And, and you know, that must have given you such inspiration 
to you know to yeah move into i think that. it um it was probably you know i went into that event with with no pressure on myself not putting any pressure on myself and wasn't really expecting to do that well i thought you know if i go there and make the cut that would be a you know a good result after not playing for about three months but um sophie was one of these babies who had colic so she didn't uh, sleep for eight right. weeks so i think probably getting on the golf course was relief i just left my mum to do all the night feeds so it was quite nice actually getting some sleep but um i remember that week and you know, obviously had a, a decent enough first round and then a really good second round. I think I shot 29 on the back nine in my second round. And that kind of vaulted me up into the lead. But, um, and I remember my mum had brought the two kids and it was oh, disastrous. One started screaming, the other one started crying. Cry. It was just a disaster. So they never came back after the Friday. But um, it probably wasn't really until the Saturday evening that I actually thought, go, I actually have a chance of winning this. Um, and then I started getting nervous. That was... <laughs> Yeah. Sunday morning, I had a kind of edgy front nine um, and then got to the 10th, made a really good bogey actually on 10 and got to the T and looked up at the scoreboard and saw I was still in the lead and thought, right, I'm not going to fall any further. And then had I'd played the back nine well all week. And, um, you know, I think you always get a little bit of luck when you want to hold a monster putt, I think, on 15 for birdie. You always just get that little bit, I think, when, when things are going your way. So um, kind of hung on and, and won. Yeah, the roar must have been incredible, uh, Beanie. It must have been, you know, hers in the back of your neck. And, and how do you then keep it together? You know, a couple of holes to go, uh, the intensity of the crowd. Is it just purely focus? Can you can you focus hundred percent? I think you do. I think when you're when you're playing like that, you're kind of you're just. I mean, seventeen. It's not the easiest tee shot I never found. Um, you know, I tend to a little bit of a draw in those bunkers down the left and yeah. 17 were always kind of lurking there for my golf ball, but uh, managed to miss the bunkers and then hit quite a nice shot up towards the green. And I remember walking to 18 t and I think I had a three shot lead. Um, and I thought to myself, you know, if I was watching on TV, think, oh, this is all over. They've won it kind of thing. And I'm walking to that tee thinking, just hit the fairway. And then you get to that tee and all I can see are bunkers the gorse on the right, seeing every bit of hazard I could just about look at. Um, but I think I kind of poked a three-wood down. And once I'd hit the fairway, you know, it was, I could really enjoy the walk up the up the fairway because I knew I had won it from then. So uh, I remember seeing the Scottish junior team were there watching, had their sure. faces painted with the saltire down the down the left side. So, uh, you know, it was, an, it, was, it was great fun to be able to walk up and, and know you had won it. You don't often get that uh, when you're playing golf. Yeah, well, indeed, and an incredible achievement that Laura has obviously also uh, been able to enjoy on, on many an occasion. The rest of us can stand on and applaud and watch and <laughs> admire. And, and Laura, you know, for you, um, an, an incredible moment uh, for a lot of us in the UK, in particular in the 80s, we were dining out on Woosnam, Langer, Lyle, Faldo, uh, you know, Ballesteros, Elizabeth. It was, you know, it was an amazing time. And then Laura Davis arrives on the scene. BBC are covering a lot of golf. The wonderful Peter Alice, uh, who had an association with Loch Lomond, uh, you know, was knitting it all together beautifully. Uh, and then all of a sudden, there's this lady from the UK and the BBC swinging over as quickly as possible to capture what's going on, which was an incredible thing. So we had all this noise coming out from the, the men's tour, and then the first non-American to finish in the top LPGA money list 
Um, you have 87 pro wins and then and four majors. <coughs> but winning the US Open for the first time must have been just sensational. It caught fire over in the UK. Uh, for you, did you did you know that, Laura? Did you know the impact that you were having? Um, no, not really, because at the time, you know, we're talking 1987 here, and there were no, yeah. there were any phones, and you know, there, there was none of the media that you get now. Um, mm. It was just me. Dad, my dad lived in America. He was there. My brother was caddying, and my cousin Matthew, who later caddied for me, there was just the four of us there, and you know, we we won the U.S. Open, and it, it's at the time it seemed quite easy. But now I realise what a stroke of luck it was that I hung on in that playoff, 18-hole playoff, yeah. to win it because I tried many occasions after that, another 30-odd, never win that one again. And it was a springboard for my career. It, it got me on the LPGA number one. It meant I was a winner before I went out there, so you had a certain level of confidence. And, um, and yeah, it was just one of those things that just seemed to happen. Now, if... If I'd had the hindsight, I'd never have won it, not in a million years. I'd have been too nervous, but it was all so new and, and it, was so fun, it was so much fun. Well, I mean, my God. Uh, then they had to change, the LPGA had to change their constitution, uh, didn't they, Laura, to uh, allow you automatic membership? I think that's yeah, right, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, they had a, they had a, because obviously after that, I went back to Europe, started playing back. <clears throat> back in those days now the let obviously um and then after about you know a month or so the news came through that i was going to be handed a, a tour card for one year and you know if i could keep my card that was it i would never have to go to tour school and obviously did pretty well in my rookie year in 88 and uh, but it wasn't a unanimous vote i've been told lot quite a few who are now with friends they didn't want this upstart you know it seems weird to think of me as a youngster but they, they, at that time it it was unusual, um, especially for an English player to come over and do that. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't unanimous, but at least there was a, at least 51% must have said yes. Well, I mean, that's I remember watching that actually um, yeah. on TV. I was just, what was that, 87? I was just kind of really taking golf really seriously. And to be honest, as you say, there was no internet or anything. So, that was probably the first time I was really aware of the LPGA. Uh, mm. Kind of got and got your kind of thinking about different things and going to what you might do. So uh, quite an inspiration, Laura. <laughs> it certainly was. I, <laughs> I can remember I can remember it clearly uh, as well. Um, so then, Laura, did you find that the American crowds were receptive or all of a sudden the new world order, if you like, back then was being challenged because the Americans were relatively dominant. Um, do, and do you feel as if you were well received and it was like, here's this Brit coming in uh, and maybe get crashing the party slightly? No, my rookie season, it didn't get off to a great start, to be honest. I missed my first two cuts and the Florida swing and took me till Hawaii, I think, the third week to actually, and everyone started to say, oh, US Open champ, giving her a card, you know, no good. But it was because of the way I play, I guess, it was always having a go at everything hitting it at the time quite a bit longer than most of the other girls they kind of took to me and for that reason I was very lucky I always had really positive things being shouted at me and when I eventually did win it it took me about oh, not that many really Tucson I won my sixth event in my rookie year 
and after that everything just seems smooth and like i say the the galleries in america have always been incredibly generous to me they really have yeah well i think that says a lot about you as well laura because they can be feisty enough uh for some uh but i think that uh uh, you know, I think it's encouraging to hear that, and uh, obviously, what you achieved out there and over the game of golf is is an incredible thing. I mean, you were the first golfer to win on five different continents in one year. Um, were you aware that that was sort of a possibility? And can you remember the fifth uh, continent that you won to to actually unlock? that amazing reward and recognition? Um, to be honest with you, you're just playing tournaments. You're not thinking where I am in the world. I'm in Thailand, I'm in New York or back in Europe. You're just playing and you're playing on the tours that, because I'd done okay, I was, you know, I could play on pretty much any tournament if I wanted to get in it, I could get in it. So it was just fun at the time to go and try these new places. And as it happens, it just worked out that, you know, that year was, was there were a lot of wins and obviously they were spread far and wide. But no, it was nothing. I wasn't conscious of it. I'll be honest with you. It was just a great year. And it just happened to be that it was all over the shop. Yeah, well, absolutely amazing. And I mean, we're going to talk about Charlie uh, is obviously uh, going to join us. She's uh, doing some coaching lessons at the moment. Uh, and in fact, I think I can see uh, that uh, is trying to come into the studio, which is great. So um, because there's Solheim Cup stuff, that would be hugely interesting, I think, to people watching uh, or listening to this particular podcast that we would uh, like to get into. <laughs> OK, well, I mean, talking then about the uh, Lady Scottish Open and it's being hosted at Dundonald Links. Uh, again in 2023 and of course our members uh, will be very aware of Dundonald Links. We used to own Dundonald Links uh, and then it was bought by Darwin who have spent uh, and invested an awful lot of money and, and God bless them for that. Um, and it's a fabulous facility, it's always been a, a good test of a golf course. Uh, and the thing, Beanie, um, I think that struck me was um, when we had the Lady Scott, which is a co-sanctioned event, I have to say, uh, and we had the Scottish Open a few years ago, um, Martin Gilbert uh, from Aberdeen Asset Management was a, a huge supporter of the Ladies Tour uh, and uh, a visionary, I think, to be fair to him. Uh, but this is, this is the only time I think I've ever sort of maybe come across something like this, and, and maybe I'm wrong, and maybe you'll tell me something differently, but um, effectively, you yourself uh, had uh, opinions about uh, the shape of three of the greens, the 5th, 15th and 16th at Dundonald Links, uh, and you felt that uh, they needed to be, or they needed a redesign, and I think the key there is the course designer, Kyle Phillips, ourselves, the owners at the time, uh, Martin, uh, sponsors all sort of looked at it and went, yeah, that actually does make sense. Um, and then we actually reshaped and did what we needed to do. Um, and, and can you remember that, Beanie? And, you know, having um, that influences. Uh, well, yeah. I, don't, I think that you're maybe stretching it a little there. I can't really remember, but I just hadn't uh, played particularly well that day and uh, was having a little bit of a moan about those particular greens. But... Um, I do remember when we played the Scottish Open there, it was quite windy and the greens were, they're all 
quite kind of like upturned saucers a little bit and uh, quite undulating some of them. So um, I definitely remember that fifth green, the par five. Uh, that yeah. was, um, that probably was just a little bit too severe. But um, I think um, saying I influenced Kyle Phillips is maybe just going a little far. Maybe I think I think it's probably more I'd had a bad day on the golf course and was. Uh, whinging a little bit as as golfers do about those greens <laughs> <laughs> well i mean it sort of made sense at least you know if you're going to whinge you know make sense and that sort of made sense which was uh, which was great and and you know we actually appreciated the, the feedback and i think you know that's what you should do if you want to be a serious venue and you you know you've got to listen to all the stakeholders and laura you know you, you've played in donald links um you know a few times it's a it's a fair test of golf in fact you and i have played uh, together uh, and there's a very funny story about that which i might you know tell later on uh, but uh, and, and the problem for me and what, what used to happen to try and explain is that the amateurs were allowed to play for a period of maybe of about four or five years were allowed to play with the professionals which was a unique experience playing in a european tour event uh, and um, you know, and I, I remember asking. I played in it three years. Uh, one was at Archfield, uh, and you know, all the players said, "No, no, no, this is fine. We actually quite enjoy it. It's something a bit different." I don't know whether you're being polite, but you know, um, I, I thought it was a real unique experience for the amateur. Uh, and then it's gone back to the sort of original format uh, of a four-day competition. But what's your memories uh, of Dundonald Links, Laura? I like it. I mean, obviously, it can turn into a nightmare if that wind gets up. I've played it in driving rain. I've played it in beautiful sunshine. But overall, one of those courses, if you play well, you can score well. If you're not quite on your game, it can absolutely take you apart. I've had both sides of that playing around there. Uh, but it's it's a it's a very fair test of golf. And that's why I, I always, when we're there, I look forward to playing it. Yeah, there's a couple of holes out there that scare the life out of me, but you have yeah. to get over those. That's what you want from championship golf. You you don't want to be comfortable. You don't want everyone comfortable on every shot. Um, and yeah, the 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 greens are always in decent shape. The you know link styley greens, and um, bunkering's fantastic. I think that's one of the main things around there. You, every hole there's not every hole, but there's bunkers in the perfect places to make you really think. And I think that's why sometimes I stand up on the odd tee. And not as confident as I should be, but yeah, it's it's a it's a good test of golf, and that's why I'll be looking forward to it this year. Yeah, I know indeed, it's fantastic that uh, you know you, you'll be back yet again, and and, and you know we we'll all look forward to that. And um, if you watch Laura play golf, and and I did get sort of up and play with beside Laura as best I could, and um, you you see that Laura, um, what she does is she digs into the turf. This is on the tee box places uh, you know the ball on top of the turf uh, and basically that's effectively the tee and um, so can you explain the reasoning behind that Laura and you know why you take that approach? Well it started in 1991 out of necessity I, I hit a really horrific tee shot I was playing with Nancy Lopez at the Farmore Classic in Youngstown I remember the shot I can I still makes me sweat thinking about it now I hit it about 200 yards out of bounds and it completely spooked me. And for from that point onwards, I finished that week trying to hit um, drivers off the tee. Uh, and it was in the period of time my brother was caddying for me. And eventually we just couldn't hit driver. I just could not hit it. It was going to go either 100 yards right or 50 yards left. And so we started using my two iron. And luckily I was long enough with my two iron where I could still compete and still go on. But what my brother picked up on was 
I'd hit a lovely two iron down a par five fairway, and then I'd be I'd have two twenty thirty to the to the pin or to the front edge, and I'd get the driver out off the deck, and I'd just stand up and I'd smash it up or around the green. But it was always a lovely free swing. And he said, "Why don't you try just chucking it on the deck on the tee, you know, for a par five or a par four? And that's how it started. I, I didn't used to knock up a tee. I just used to put the ball on the ground and hit the driver because it was. We're talking when there was sim and headed driver, so slightly easier. Well, mind you, the modern day drivers, you can hit them off the deck as well. Um, and that's how it started. And then eventually I kind of started knocking up a small amount. And it was just to help me get through the ball. That's all it was. I could aim down the left. I'm not comparing myself to Scotty Scheffler here, but that same sort of thing. Aim down the left, hit it hard and just squeeze it out. Same as John Rahm. That kind of, it just, it just allowed me to hit through it rather than get, get to the ball and just either whip my hands over or come in with a massive open club face. And that's how it started. And now when we played, it would have been a mound, you know, like a, a proper tea size. And it's just a comfort thing now. I don't do it all the time anymore. I, I, I holes that are either dead straight or into the wind or particularly dangerous down the right hand side. I might, I might hit it off the deck, but for the most part now I do hit it off a tea again. I've grown up. Yeah, it's uh, it's an incredible thing to witness, and really should watch it. Uh, and uh, as you say, had a, so when you were playing, you know, uh, in the early days in America, the, the the par and you know was something that was remarked upon. So in terms of yardage driving wise, uh, you were obviously up there, um, if not number one. Uh, and and how far were you ahead of most people, Laura, off the tee of your compadres? I think in the in the you know sort of mid mid nineties when I played at my very best, I think I was probably fifteen twenty yards past the longer hitters. So I was I was the the longest hitter at that time, um, and some of the medium hitters, you know, maybe thirty forty yards. It's like now you've got Nelly Corder and those girls; they're hitting it probably yeah. fifty yards of the average hitters because they've the technology's allowed them to go even further. But yeah, in 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 my day, I was I was long, and then. Then players started coming, like Beth Daniel. She was there before me, but she got longer, and, and everyone just started getting longer, and, and then my advantage had gone. But for a while there, yeah, it was fun to be hitting last, mostly. Yeah, yeah, incredible, uh, I have to say. And Katrina, what, what's your views uh, on equipment uh, then? Do you think that, um, you know, in the game and the men's game, there needs to be a slight adjustment? Uh, some of the uh, traditional golf courses are maybe being taken out of tournaments, possibly. Uh, do you think there needs to be adjustment or is it just evolution and you just got to rule with the, with the game? Um, I think potentially there probably has to be some sort of rollback of something. I mean, I think it's not just the equipment, it's the, the players themselves. Um, you know, there's far more emphasis now on, um, you know, fitness, strength, training, nutrition. Everyone's just looking for that minute little edge, that 1% that will make them a little bit better or one shot better, you know, over 72 holes. Um, obviously, the equipment's got bettered. Um, you know, it's easier to hit it straight, I think, um, bigger sweet spots. Um, I suppose the easiest fix would probably be the golf ball to have a golf ball, you know, just for perhaps for the pro game. Um, I think it would be been nice for some of these older courses where potentially they were playing you know and having to hit mid to longer irons into into par fours rather than I mean you watch the the golf now and it is a lot of wedges they're hitting into into par fours and their long irons are on the par fives really but um yeah I mean I would say probably the ball is the one thing would be the the probably the easiest fix um you know a lot of other sports tennis baseball I think of all you know changed the 
so they can't hit the ball uh, quite so far or as fast. I, I can remember, um, yeah, like it's a debate that's going to rage on and on. Actually, Laura, do you have a, an opinion on equipment? Um, yeah, but pretty much exactly what Katrina just said, really. It's, I think if you want the great courses to still be relevant in 10 years' time, you can't, they can't keep getting longer because last week, Rory, hit, I mean, I know he missed a cut, he hit a driver in eight time, 569 yards slightly into the wind. That's to me, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, crazy. And, yeah. Rory, it's all of them. They're all hitting it so far. Um, yeah, the golf ball would be as as is is probably the the main way to go because I just think that they're making mockery of of these great championship golf courses. They're just they're just having to lengthen. Look at Augusta in a few weeks' time. That's so long now. But even that doesn't really panic. Elevens maybe a little bit long, but other than that, they they still get it out there so far. Yeah, I suppose it it uh, beggars the question that you know, maybe the pressure, because people are hitting it so far, it doesn't always work out like this. But, you know, the last four or five holes at Augusta, if you're three shots ahead, I know Jordan, Jordan Spieth may say something completely different, but, uh, you know, it, 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 is it as tough a golf course now with the way people are playing and the equipment being used? Uh, I, I don't know, is that excitement still there yes if there's one shot in it but if there's like scotty scheffler at sawgrass where you kind of knew that it you know he was probably going to get home and dry um uh, with the way he plays golf and the way he's hitting the ball i just wonder is it taking a little bit of that sort of uh, juice out of it a wee bit towards maybe a, an exciting finish not totally but you know it is something that maybe needs to be uh, kept an eye on I, I would have said okay so um in terms of then um Beanie, you, you have this reputation uh, due to skippering the Solheim Cup um, successfully uh, twice um, in a row. <laughs> a very difficult thing to achieve. I, I don't know how long you thought about it when you're asked to come back again and do it. Uh, and winning in Inverness in Ohio was just sensational. Both were sensational. Um, you know, it's said that um, your level-headedness, um, your ability to motivate people subtly, uh, and I'm going to give an example of something Ronan Rafferty told me, and I, I don't know if there's something you girls would subscribe to, uh, was, was a major sort of play uh, in your managerial skills. Uh, and Ronan told me a story about uh, Christy O'Connor Jr. on a course he's playing the Belfry in that very famous match against Freddie Couples uh, and he had the two iron, a two iron in 1987, something like that. Um, and as you know, Ronan says, not a two iron in 2023. Uh, and uh, apparently, uh, I think it was Jacqueline sort of just whispered, you're doing this for Ireland. Uh, and it seemed to just raise him up a tad before he hit that amazing shot that a lot of us kind of remember. Freddie was further on down and, and hooked his, uh, well, I think it was an eight iron. Um, so do you think that's a fair assessment, Katrina? It's very difficult maybe to self-analyse yourself, but, you know, those, those sort of skill sets uh, of being able to motivate people subtly, is that, is that, is that your style? Um, as you say, it's difficult for me to kind of 
analyze that and say that I just tried to to kind of be myself and and just pick up things I had learned from from the Solheim Cups I had played in and under the various different captains. Um, you know, I just found the things that I had not particularly liked when I had been playing that had happened and the things I did like and and then I just tried to to kind of captain as if I, in a way as if I was a player and what would the players want to do, what would they want to know kind of thing. And that was, and then I was just myself, really, to be honest. Um, you know, I think it was, my big thing was communication. Uh, you know, I think everyone always wants to know what's going on and if they're playing and if they're not playing. And and obviously I had a great uh, vice captains and, uh, you know, Laura, Suzanne and uh, Mel. So, uh, yeah, we, we were a great team. We worked well together. We all had different, um, you know, kind of strengths. So I think it really did work, worked well. But um, my main thing was communication, just being myself. I mean, the players, when you get to that level, they all know how to play golf. You're not having to, you're not telling them, <clears throat> you know, what to do. They've got their caddy and their their teams now telling them all that. So um, like you say, it was just, I mean, you don't need motivated. I don't think um, to play in a Solheim Cup, that's your that's your dream as a professional women golfer is to, if you're American or European, is to get in these teams. It's probably what, it's the biggest event in, in women's golf. And, um, you know, it's a huge audience now. So, um you're just about trying to calm them down rather than motivate them, I would say, more than anything. But, um, yeah, I think communication is the best thing. Sure. And, and Laura, as VC uh, to Beanie, um, what would you say, um, sitting from where you were, uh, at, at the strengths um, that uh, Beanie had as, a, as could bring the, the squad yeah, well, she said she couldn't analyse herself. I think she's analysed herself perfectly. <laughs> it was sort of <laughs> the the way she for the players. She kept them informed. You never have. I've played in so many Solheim Cups where all the players are talking. Do you know anything? Do you know anything? Well, we didn't have that with Beanie. Everybody knew what they needed to know. You wouldn't not no long term stuff, but at the right time. The team was told when they were playing, if they weren't playing, and that just gets your team at ease. And once your team's at ease, there's there's no little groups forming, and and she just kept everyone together. And and there was one time she was late back from a meeting, and everyone wanted it, it probably didn't even know this, and and um, me and Anne were, you know, they were getting a bit, oh, what are we going to do? Because it was on the night, so it's a really quick turnaround. You finish the, on the Friday night, and you're up early on the Saturday, and I think at one point there was a, you know, what shall we? shall we just find out a bit later and two or three of the players said no 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 we want to hear from Beanie and that told us that you know the skipper doesn't matter about the vice captains it's the skipper they want to hear from they want to go to bed with her giving them the last message it was nothing about pairings we already knew the pairings they just wanted to hear from Beanie one last time before they went off before they prepared for the Saturday of that Solheim Cup so yeah very calm influence um, and very well liked by the players simple as that. And, and again, I know both of you have a wealth of experience with the Soheim Cup and, and being you an occasion where you were vice-captain, um, Suzanne uh, Patterson was injured and you had to step in uh, and you, you won three points despite the US were victorious that time. Uh, and, and was that a challenge for you mentally? You, you arrive as a vice-captain, you end up as a player, you know, how did you find that? Yeah, that was a, a very strange one in Des Moines, actually. Um, to be fair, Annika had called me, I think, on the Sunday night just before I left to fly out, um, you know, to bring my golf clubs because I, I think Suzanne had um, 
phoned her and said her back was a little bit sore. She wasn't sure whether she'd be able to play or not. And then we get out there and the Monday just kind of carry on as normal as a vice captain. And then Tuesday, it's kind of becoming apparent. I don't think Suzanne, perhaps she just flew in that day. It was kind of apparent she probably wasn't going to play. Um, so then they had to get permission for me to be able to go and practice and, you know, be allowed on the golf course. And then I think on the Wednesday or the Thursday even, uh, Suzanne made the decision she she wasn't going to be able to play. And um, obviously I got called up and, and into the team. I think um, I think that was the ninth, the, that was the ninth, my ninth playing. And at that time I knew it would be my last one. So, um, you know, obviously delighted uh, to get playing. And I think having played previously, definitely made it easier to step in at the last minute. Um, you know, I think if it had been your first one, perhaps, or even your second one, it would have been harder. But having played in it before, I kind of knew what to expect. And um, I've always loved, I've absolutely always loved team golf and, you know, to get out and, and then to be playing in the first morning was, uh, I think with Karen Ishe, uh, you know, we had a great pairing and really enjoyed our matches together. So um, ended up being a really, I mean, I know we got well beaten actually that, that, that week, but the Americans played, they had a strong team and they played well, uh, particularly well. But um, yeah, it was, it was, it was different, different uh, preparation, but um, I think the experience from having played before did definitely help me. And, and uh, of course, uh, Laura uh, 2000 was at Loch Lomond, um, and the, it was in October. Uh, the weather wasn't great, um, but it was um, quite a, a, a Soheim Cup. Um, we have this locker room attendant called Willie, uh, who's pretty uh, well known. In fact, top sport reckon uh, beyond uh, or behind the Scottish Prime Minister, whoever that will be, um, and, uh, and and somebody who's exceptionally wealthy, who uh, name I can't remember. Uh, Willie's about third, probably in the sort of uh, you know wealth generator. <laughs> Uh, in Scotland, uh, such as a sort of character. Uh, and he says that he remembers about the, the Soheim Cup, and he remembers you quite clearly, Laura, whereby there was great celebrations, but also uh, he said that uh, you were checking out a horse uh, that, and uh, given, I think, maybe possibly him a tip as well, which, uh, and you probably won't remember it, he remembers it, because I think it actually won. Uh, and uh, he, he tells his story. <laughs> <laughs> you know, every year uh, or every week at least. And Laura, can you remember anything about that at all? I, I can, I, I don't know the name of the horse, or, but I do remember we had a horse that week. I couldn't tell you any more about it, but yeah, it did. He's, he's not telling porky pies. I don't know what day it was. I mean, wouldn't have probably been on the Sunday. I, I don't know. But um, I do remember we did have a horse that week. You know, so some of the caddies know some dodgy characters and we got some info. So it was all good. <laughs> well, he's the man, I can assure you. Uh, and uh, a great character and the members and guests, uh, guests love him. Now, the Sohan Cup, I think, OK, as a, as a sort of... Um, Someone that uh, you know watches golf, and I, I'm involved in golf in a managerial sense. Uh, the Sohan Cup uh, brings out this passion, and maybe you see extra things from golfers that you don't normally see, uh, and comes with it controversy uh, as well. Uh, and you know we love that uh, spectating. We we you know it might be different. Uh, on the other side of the rope, but but we love it. And in Dalmahoy, um, which of course 
uh, you've won at Dalmahoy, Laura, uh, the, the Lady Scottish Open. Um, in 92, there was controversy with Beth Daniel uh, and uh, Betsy King, and they called for a squeegee on the green. And by the way, it's a squeegee. And anybody from Glasgow watching this, I didn't say Ouija, okay, just to make that clear. Uh, and uh, but they were off the green. And you were playing with Alison Nichols, and you said, "No, no, no, no. Your ball must be on the green for a squeegee to be brought out." So, can you take us through the tension or the conversation or or what happened, Lord? <clears throat> Well, that's a long time ago, but I, I remember the incident. I, I'll be honest, I've never, I could care less what the opposition's doing. Ali, on the other hand, took the right hunt with the fact they were getting this. And I'm, she wasn't letting it go. And then Beth and Betsy were angry and Ali was getting angrier and angrier. And I'm just over with my brother and, and we're going, blimey, is this ever going to end? And and in the end of it, because they were taking, because it was raining, it was taking so long to squeegee that it, it was taking too long. That was my only thing. I was sick and tired of waiting. But yeah, Ali, Ali was very feisty back then. And uh, you know, that's the thing. If you if you think you want to fight your corner on something like that, uh, um, you should go for it. And Ali most certainly did. We've had incidents over the years in the Solheim Cup. I can name, you know, I, th I can think of three or four. Um, but it just adds to the fun, really. Yeah, well, it does for the spectators for sure. And uh, and did it affect you? It obviously didn't affect you mentally. You walked straight, kind of nearly straight on the next tee box and drove off. Um, you know, while they were trying to maybe I, I don't know, uh, still arguing about it. But you know, can you lose focus and uh, kind of you know, can it kind of really upset you? Clearly, this didn't with you. But were the other three girls upset? No, no, it's just it's just the heat of battle. It's just. It's like any normal tournament, only it's 18 individual tournaments you're playing out there in match play, and you've got to let it go sometimes. you just got to let it go on. And, but you should use it to, if, if, if you feel you've been wronged by someone, yeah, it, it makes you go for it. But you, it would be a good thing. I would only ever turn it into a positive, right? You're not going to win now. That would be my attitude and Ali's attitude. And I'll be honest, I don't even remember the result of that match. Um, I've got a feeling we might have won. And which would have been a huge scout, or maybe a half. I'm not, not 100% on that. But um, yeah, you can't affect affect the way you play the rest of your round. It's it's just it's just part and parcel. It's all all the fun of the fair, really. And of course, um, 2021, uh, the most one of the most amazing things I've seen, which was Madeline Sangram and uh, Nelly Corda. Uh, you know, Katrina, would you like to take us through what happened there for those that can't remember it? But it's uh, it's it's an incredible thing. Yeah, that was um, the putt that um, Madeline picked up. Um, I was actually standing at the side of that, ha just quite coincidentally, happened to be standing watching their game at that point. And um, I believe they were on the clock, so they were trying to hurry. And um, Nelly, it was par five, and Nelly had putted down for birdie, and it had just kind of. It was just on the edge. I mean, it certainly didn't look with the naked eyes if it was hanging over, but Madeline Quina quite promptly went and picked it up and threw it to her. And I mean, she did do it quite quickly. And obviously you can see from the replays and everything, it was, um, you know, inside the 10 seconds that she should have left it. But um, from Nelly's reaction, you can tell as a player whether the, the player thinks it's going to fall in or not. And she obviously hadn't thought it was ever going to go in. And then I think it was Nana Madsen then had a, eagle putt but then everything kind of kicked off and 
the referee got involved and, you know, said they went to video evidence and said it was hanging over and Madeline shouldn't have picked it up. And um, then obviously that, that was her, you know, she conceded and uh, Nelly made the four and Nana missed her putts. So I think we lost the hole. And it, it was just one of these incidents, as Laura says, it's the heat of the battle. Um, it just causes a, a little bit of ill feeling amongst some of the players, you know, just had to kind of try and calm our two down going down the next hole. Madeline was kind of upset thinking, you know, people thinking she had done the wrong thing when, you know, it wasn't kind of intentional or anything. But um, as you say, these things happen in the heat of the battle and you, you just have to get on with it. And um, I mean, as a captain, you kind of hope these things don't happen. As a player, you kind of revel in them nearly a little bit. Uh, that's kind of half the fun of match play. But um, it all kind of passed over in the end and uh, you just have to get on with the golf. <laughs> okay, so Charlie, obviously we have been talking golf <laughs> uh, yeah. and uh, we had the interjection. Thank you so, so much. Now, you've just come off, um, I think, uh, you know, a lesson with your coach. Was there anything uh, yeah. you, were you were particularly working on, Charlie? Uh, not really. It was just like just going through the motions and stuff, but I was hitting it pretty well. So he was just stood there nodding his head. That's about yeah. it, really. <laughs> I know it's a bit like my coach as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, think but, we, I, mean, I think we had more of a chat about other things in life than we did the golf today. It was, it was quite. I enjoyed it. I mean, I think I've got to say, you know, it's been a pleasure, you know, to play golf with uh, with with some of the girls and uh, to have a look at the tournaments. And honestly, a more relaxed bunch and friendlier bunch as well, you will never meet. I mean, they really are terrific. Uh, and uh, I think you're probably getting the flavour of that from this podcast as well. So, Charlie, you've got a bit of catching up to do. Um, you left school at 13 uh, to be homeschooled, to concentrate more on golf. It yeah. was a huge, huge decision that paid off. But did you feel any pressure or was it exuberance of youth and you thought, nah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna nail this. Not, not really. I always thought I could, I could go back to uh, school when I'm older if I'm not good enough. I've got one shot at this golf, and I just loved it. Um, I think I played with Laura in my first pro event, at, well, event as a pro. I think it was in Morocco, and I came second. And yeah, and I went off to a flying start. So yeah, it was pretty good, and never looked back. I know, but you, you had a raft of seconds, didn't you? Yeah, Did you I think have I had something like. I had like yeah. nine second place finishes or something like that in my first year. Yeah. Well, it's like the Podrick Harrington. I remember Podrick went in this sort of run of seconds and then he broke yeah. through, uh, yeah. you know, and, and, and then like you, of course, uh, you know, have, have done the same. So, I mean, there's a great story you tell uh, about you were seven years of age and you, you defeated a 17 year old in a, in a yeah. match play. And, and, and he wasn't yeah. particularly pleasant about it. No, uh, no. But, but, yeah. Yeah, I was playing it was in a junior match. It was Ketchum versus Stabbinson and I think I beat him I think it was like five up or three up or something. And he looked at me and then he threw, he threw his ball in the bush and he went effing girls and then walked off to shake my hands. <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, you know, I bet you now he'd be looking for an autograph, Charlie. You might not give it to him, but I mean he'll be looking, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That's the irony. Um, but okay, so you, you turned pro at 16, uh, and as we said, five straight seconds. 
Um, so when you're coming second so many times, did you think, oh my God, am I ever going to get this over the line? Yeah, I think you do think that. Um, I can't actually remember now. Uh, but yeah, I was just kind of, I won in, and then I won the year after in Morocco after coming second the year before and it felt good. And then you get a taste of winning and I come quite, quite a few, close to quite a few times and I went over to the LPJ tour. Um, but I just love playing golf. Like I enjoy being out on the golf course and everything. So um, it's not really a chore to me, but I knew it was going to come. Yeah, and do you think that that shines through, Laura and Beanie, with Charlie, you know, she's flying the flag, uh, you know, for Europe and, and for the UK, and, and her personality does come across as sort of straight shooting, but kind of relaxed kind of person. Uh, Laura, is that how you find Charlie? Yeah, without a doubt, and I, I clearly remember that day we were paired in Morocco, because um, you know, I, I'd heard of Charlie. I'd never played with her. I'd met her probably maybe a couple of times before that. But we were on the golf course and she's hit this one drive down the left side on it was a par five. And she's up against this tree and she had virtually no swing at all. And I, I just know that 99% of other players would have just um, chipped it out sideways and taken their medicine. But Charlie leaned herself up against this tee and managed to manufacture a three iron or a four iron shot a low one up onto the green. She probably doesn't even remember it. And I looked at my caddy. It was just a one-off caddy for the week. And I said, you should watch this girl. If you ever get a chance to caddy for her, she's going to be good. Just by that one shot, I like um, Charlie had a big future. And obviously she's gone on to show how good she is. And uh, like you say, though, she just gets up and plays golf. And that's why I love playing with Charlie and watching her play because there's no nonsense. It's just, If it goes well, great. If it doesn't go well, you don't. You would never know with Charlie how she's doing, which I think is always the mark of a very level-headed golfer because I could never do that in my younger days. I was up and down way too much. Well, Laura, yeah. talking about up and down, the last time I played with you, I fell over that tee box. <laughs> yes, sure. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, well, uh, uh, and, and Beanie, for you, Charlie was a hugely important player. The so high yeah, yeah uh, very. I mean, I think actually Charlie, in a way, is a little bit like a younger Laura. In a way, she just kind of, she kind of goes for everything, you know, exciting to watch. One of these players you always like to watch and, um, you know, the, you know she's just going to go for things and if everything comes off, you know, can get on real streaks and have some really low scores, which a lot of players aren't able to go out and shoot those really low numbers. But, um, you know, Charlie, once she gets a birdie, isn't scared to go on and make, a, a, you know, quite a few more in a round, which is, which is always fun and exciting to watch. And, you know, obviously being part of, um, you know, played in Solheims with Charlie and Captain Durr and, uh, you know, just a, a great addition to the team. Um, you know, she knows she's a real fighter. And as I say, you want those players that are going to go out and make birdies and, and never give up that never give up attitude, which is what you want. Yeah, definitely. Again, it comes through. Charlie, I mean, winning in the States, I mean, 2016 uh, and then again in 2022, uh, you know, with with your three L.E.T. wins as well, it feels like, I mean, you're still really a young lady. Uh, you know, it feels like a great platform to conquer the world still further from. Yeah. Uh, maybe a big change in, in the last uh, number of years is sort of the Asian explosion within female golf. Um, and, you know, again, we talk about power bases within golf. We talked about Laura going over and, and mixing with, uh, in America with the Americans. And now we have, you know, a plethora of Asian yeah. players. Do you think it's more difficult to win um, a, a tournament now? I feel like the standards, like there's, it, there's, there's 
it's quite a lot of depth now um and especially in the last few years like as in anyone like before it was like a handful of players that would win each week but now it's like you're getting like ran more random winners because everyone's obviously like getting better and better um but at the end of the day I don't really look at uh, scoreboards like on an off week I don't really look who's won um uh, but everyone is I'd say the standard out there is getting really good and I enjoy playing with some of the players out there uh, the new players especially like they're hitting it further uh, which is great but um I remember always as a kid though I we used to go out as with my friends and that and every time we went out we all pretended to be a different golfer and I either used to be Sebi or Laura <laughs> <laughs> okay, two good choices. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I know good times, but um, but yeah, like I said, I just don't, I don't really look at the leaderboards too much. When I both times when I've won, I've not really looked at them. Um, but I just think to myself, I've got to make birdies, and at the end of the day, everyone's good out there, and they're going to be making birdies, and I enjoy making birdies out on the golf course, and I find it fun. Sometimes when I'm not making birdies, I get bored, um, and then I'll find something to get me back round and concentrate and that's my, probably my weakness but I'm working on that yeah you know I think if I was interviewing Terrell we're talking about Terrell Hatton earlier and uh, I feel yeah. as if he would, he would say something similar you know he sort of goes yeah. in this rash of birdies and yeah. you know and you get the impression mm, if he's out of it then you know it's it's not not as much fun uh, and as Terrell Hatton somebody Charlie that you know I'm not saying you'd look up to similar, you know, you're both doing your thing. But, you know, when you see someone like Terrell, um, there's a feeling he could maybe go on the stage further. What's your thoughts? I don't really watch much golf, but what I've watched of Terrell, I kind of like how he seems kind of crazy on the golf course. And I quite like that. It's quite entertaining. Um, yeah. But he's a, he's a very, very good player. He's a very good player. And I like people to have a bit of, you know, something about them. And I, I think I enjoy I enjoy watching that. Yeah, well, I mean, there's plenty going on in the men's game at the moment. Yeah. Uh, they, keep, they keep us all entertained for a long time. Uh, but you were, so, okay, you've got this level-head approach. Uh, obviously, not looking at scoreboards is something mentally that you probably don't want to lose your focus or, or whatever. It's a, it's about what you're doing uh, and it's about how you're doing it. We were talking about the Sohan Cup. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I mean, for people viewing, it was compelling. But in 2015, uh, you're playing with Suzanne Peterson, uh, and then there was a bit of controversy over a putt. Um, and you, you know, how did you deal with that? Because it was pretty ferocious. Well, I remember the putt at the time, it was like, I don't know, over three feet downhill, left, right, coming back. And I said to Suzanne, don't give the putt. And we didn't give the right. putt, and then uh, Alison picked it up. But I think at the end of the day, it was a rules official. He didn't know the rule properly, where he could have turned around and said to them, put it back down, because uh, it was like a confusion. But I don't know, at the end of the day, it is what it is. Everyone learned from that mistake. Um, I think Suzanne took the blame for it, but she shouldn't have probably taken as much blame for it, because I don't feel like we'd done nothing wrong. Maybe looking back at it, the, the rules official should have said, just replace it, but... He didn't, but um, it, we was playing so well that that day as well, and I love playing with Suzanne. She's like, yeah, I like her personality. She's fiery, and I like that. I think she'll make a great captain. Yeah, like, yeah. Like if, if if like I'll be um on best behaviour that week. That's for sure. <laughs> I, think, I think I'm not gonna lie though. Beanie's my favourite captain because she's so relaxed, and I like that. Yeah, that's because well, I'm sitting. That's just because I'm sitting here. <laughs> no, no, no. We, me and George was talking about it uh, last week. 
Yeah, I mean, we're Char- Charlie, we, we were talking about uh, Beanie's qualities as a, as a captain. Yeah. So, I'm cap- so how did you see it? I mean, you've alluded to some of it there. How did you see it? She was just dead relaxed, but you'd listen to her because you know what? You, she's like, she's a great person. You'd listen to her. Um, but I just felt like the whole time it was just a chilled vibe and I like that. Yeah, well, it, it certainly you come across as you know pretty chill sort of person, which which is great. And, and I'm going to move on to something um, for everybody, hopefully, to comment on, which I think is really really interesting because as ladies golf looking for sponsors, uh, particularly on the European tour, uh, but there's something happening I think in the states, um, which maybe uh, Mike Wan, who was. Uh, he was um, chief executive of the USGA, said something which I thought was interesting. And he said, I saw how much money the USGA lost on the US Open. I could see they were doing the right thing, but they they weren't reaching out to companies who wanted to do the right thing. And what he's getting at is diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. And they're... I mean, the the growth in golf and female golf, I think new uh, golfers coming uh, on and playing golf, 60% are now female, uh, which is an incredible statistic. Um, And this guy, Mike, um, he got a hand to him. He sort of linked the diversity, equity, equality, yeah, we get, but equity is as important, uh, if not more, and inclusion initiatives. So KPMG, for example, sort of picked up on that. And they said, listen, we're happy to sponsor uh, an event and we're happy uh, to get involved, but we see it more than a hospitality event. Uh, And they added women's leadership summits and they focused on future leaders who were females. And they really sort of got involved in that. It, It actually reinforced uh, their diversity uh, and equity uh, type uh, mission statement that they had. So they really bought into uh, Ladies Golf and where it could take them as a company. And they really adopted, I think, a, a proper attitude towards it, which for philanthropists or companies out there, if you think about it and think how you want to be portrayed, um, then really this sport, which is hugely competitive, huge fun, and with professionals who are willing to engage with the public and with sponsors, there's no finer sport. Surely it's wide open in Europe. In America, there's a lot of support. So my question is, uh, and Beanie, if I start with you, um, is this the future? Have you seen a tournament that has maybe well-being attached to it um, or um, sort of inclusion initiatives, forums, Anything that you've come across in your experience? Yeah, I mean, I would say certainly in the last five, ten years, there's you really are seeing the the women's golf and women's sport in general really on the up and up. Um, I think obviously, as you as you've said, with the diversity and equality, you know, companies are now wanting to which they should be doing, spending you know you know the same kind of amount of money on on women's sport as they do on say a men's sport. So. Um, I think you've definitely seen that. And as you say, the KPMG event um, over in the US, they'd have their women's forum and, you know, two or three different other events now have similar kind of things where, you know, they get together, you know, women from all different kind of industries and, and things and have big forums and um, 
talks and things. I think at the um, Chevron or the, the yeah. They had similar kind of things as well. So you see all that happening. And I think, um, you know, as you said, uh, women's golf is, that's where the, the biggest increase in memberships and participation is happening. I think because it's a big push to try and get women and girls, young girls into golf. So I think, you know, they're pushing to try and get the women in um, and then hopefully they'll get their children playing golf. So I think you definitely can see that around the world. Um, in every country, you know, the RNA have got their women in golf charter and yeah. everyone's trying to get, uh, you know, more women into sports just for well-being as well as and everything. So um, I think, as you say, for, for companies, if they're looking, you know, to put sponsorship dollars into something, um, golf's a great a, a great avenue, I think, just because, as you say, you have the pro-ams, you get up close with the players. There's not many other sports where you can actually go out and um be on the golf course like you've been with with the top pros and have a round of golf with them and spend four or five hours and walking down the fairways and you know chatting to them um you know you could, it's not as if you could go out and play a game of tennis against um you know coco golf or emma raducanu so i think that's yeah. where golf really benefits from being able to look after its sponsor as well so um yeah i think we're definitely as i said seeing seeing improvement and i think it's it's just always uh, on the up and Laura, and I'm going to let Beanie and, and Laura go. Thank you so much. You, you, you've been on for over an hour. And, and again, Laura, you must be jet lagged. So we really, really appreciate your involvement. Laura, Sorry, I'm going to ask. Sorry. <laughs> I, I can't go tomorrow, but I I hope you put, make sure you put some bets on those tips we just got because uh, he knows what oh, well, he's talking about. I've got them written down. <laughs> All right, Beanie, ping them through to me, please. Okay, I've got my spellings a bit iffy on some of them. I was, I'll need to look at them first to get the right names. Oh, don't worry. I'm sure your spelling's better than mine. And, and Laura, quickly, anything to say about the, the KPMG, the, the sort of equity type thing? Anything you want to want to say about that? Well, Amy covered everything I was thinking. She she, she kind of covered it. Yeah, I mean, KPMG are the, are the flagship for that. I know that in Australia, I've in Australia a lot, and they, a long time ago, they started doing women's breakfast before rounds and they'd have players that were off in the afternoon would come and, and, and do the breakfast with them so and that was bringing in all the local women from the area who were in business and maybe not even golfers but just introduce them to golf and I just think that's something that's been happening but KP over the years it's been getting more and more and, and obviously KPMG is the model that all these companies that do want to get involved, that's the one they should follow because it, it really is quite something. Condoleezza Rice has been there virtually every year. And, you know, someone like that that turns up to, to speak to the business and, and include the golfers in it because she loves golf herself. Um, more people like that involved in women's golf, the better it's going to be. Yeah, I'm here, here, and so say all of us. So, Charlie, you stay on a second. And Laura and Katrina, and listen, thank you so, so much total heroes and, and what you've achieved in the sport well you know they'll be writing about it forever uh, and, and we're honored and privileged to have you both on the podcast and of course you're welcome at Loch Lomond Golf Club anytime as you both know uh, I didn't get a chance to tell the story Laura about uh, playing golf with you but sometime I'll put that to air it's very very funny anyway girls listen have a great night enjoy Cheltenham enjoy tomorrow thanks bye-bye bye-bye bye, -bye. bye, -bye. bye. 
Gus, Charlie, you, you must have been, um, I mean, you kind of alluded to it that you were heavily influenced by Laura, um, you know, growing up. I mean, was she the influencer for you? Yeah, I'd say 100% Laura, Sevy and Tiger Woods. They're my three, fav- three favourites. Um, and it's crazy. I met Laura when I was nine years old. I've got a picture somewhere of me and her in the clubhouse of the Women's British Open at Royal Livingston Anne's when I was nine uh, I'll try and find it but yeah it's a good picture yeah yeah well, good memories as well and and uh, Beanie you know took us through yeah. a little bit of, of of winning that as well so for you with the uh to go back to the diversity and equity I mean for me it's just wide open for companies and and people who want to sponsor say philanthropists to get involved in you know the European tour the Donald links uh we're very proud of uh, we've had a, you know, we had a large part to play. It's now owned by Darwin, but you know, there's opportunities there. We've got the 2026 uh, Soheim Cup is in Holland, uh, Bernardus. Uh, we have a mm-hmm. large Dutch membership. You know, I'm hearing yeah. there could be a, a Loplomen Brazilian, uh, maybe associated with that Soheim Cup. But for you, you know, what are the opportunities? Do you think uh, for for sponsors uh, for the ladies' game? I think they're endless, you know. Obviously, we're getting more coverage on TV now these days as well. So it's all going in the right direction. Obviously, I'm still quite young, so I don't really look into it too much, that that kind of side where Laura and Katrina have been around for quite a while and they've seen the growth in sport, um, in the sport. Um, so they can probably know more about it. But I, I definitely think, though, since I've been younger, it's it's, it's got a lot better. Um, but I think, you know, keep on doing the things that they're doing and more young kids down the golf club are our girls playing golf so it's nice to see yeah no 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 totally and i mean one of the things to go back to the soheim cup that i was going to ask because laura uh, played in this uh was at lock lomans um when had that occasion where annika Sorensen uh played a shot and it was called and hold a chip and it was uh called by pat bradley it was out of out of turn and she had to yeah. go and re- yeah had to replay the shot and of course didn't hold the chip. I mean, you know that 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 is a sort of pressure controversy um, that happens with the Soheim Cup. But you know you've been you are there you are part of the Soheim Cup. You will continue think- to be part of it. So you know what what's your thoughts of being involved in the Soheim Cup? Yeah, interesting. It's a bit of fun and you've got to be thick skinned because obviously things like that can happen. Um, but it's a great event and it, it is really, really good when it's on TV, good for the coverage, good for the game of golf and it's such a great event to be a part of and it brings, you know, because golf isn't a team sport, it's an individual sport and it brings you together as a team for the week and it's good. Okay, so if uh, there's a lot of people talking about uh, mixed golf, you know, uh, maybe it would be great the top 60 females in the world, for example, and the top 60 males in the world. I think making it happen is a bit more difficult. Um, but if it did happen, uh, who would you, who do you think out of the men's game would complement your game? So if you had somebody to choose uh, to play with in a mixed tournament, who would that be? I don't know really. I haven't really looked. You know what? I I don't really watch too much of the men's game anymore. I used to watch it back in when I was younger, and I don't really know too many of the players now. Uh, I still think like back in the day when it was like Jason Day was world number one, or you know back in back in them days. I used to really enjoy watching it then. But 
obviously now I'm so busy with myself, but I don't know. I think any of them guys, they'll be good fun. Um, when I was younger, I used to love Ricky Fowler and I used to love, obviously love like watching him play and Rory play and anyone that's got a bit of fun, you know, I, I think, I think it'll be good fun. Yeah, I, I don't know. It might happen. It might happen. Yeah. You know, there, there's there's a lot of people talking about it, uh, you know, as yeah. well as if we're going to go down this sort of, you know, uh, equity yeah. and, and inclusive. It's what people want to see. It's what the fans want to see. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it'll draw crowds and get people talking. Yeah, yeah, for absolutely for sure. So what's what's next for you, Charlie? What's, uh, so what's the I've next? I've got Phoenix next week. Um, well, obviously, Cheltenham well, tomorrow. <laughs> but yeah, no, Phoenix well, yeah. next week and then uh, Palos Verdes in LA the week after California. Two weeks off and then Chevron back to California for event and then the International Crown, which is like, I think it's like eight countries around the world. The best players in each country get to play in it, four of us, and we play and it's, it's a good little event. Yeah, well, you've, you've you've obviously got a huge following in the UK, Charlie, and uh, yeah. we'll be we'll be keeping an eye on uh, on how you progress, and and you know, you. I'm sure I'm sure you'll keep going up the ladder. Uh, where what number are you in the world at the moment? Do you know? I think I was twelve last week, and now I'm fifteen because I didn't play last week. I took the week off. Okay, yeah. Well, listen, uh, you'll get back. You'll get into the top ten, no problems. Yeah, uh, no, I like yeah. to balance my. I like to balance my home life with my golf life it's in a good balance because struggle with being away quite a lot to be fair uh find it hard being away from home so from just try and do my schedule right yeah i think that's important to get that balance but still yeah. to be 12 12th or 15th in the world and get the balance you know tells you a lot i think about, about yeah. uh, you know about your talent uh charlie listen thank you so so much thank for no joining worries. and enjoy cheltenham tomorrow and uh, Sorry, we'll see eight. Yeah, we'll see you at Dundonald Links and the Lady Scottish Open. Perfect. All right, thank you. Cheers. Thank bye you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. There are an array of super prizes to win on each podcast. However, this podcast is an even bumper crop. Uh, we've got corporate hospitality for four people at a day of your choosing at the Lady Scottish Open at Dundonald Links in Ayrshire, 3rd to the 6th of August. We also have uh, available signed pin flag by Dame Laura Davis, Katrina Matthew, Charlie Hull, plus last year's winner from Japan, Ayaka Ferreru. And also a highly sought bottle of 12-year-old Loch Lomond whiskey. So all three are available uh, for you to enter, but you must answer the following question. Three golf holes at the Don Links were remodelled mentioned in the podcast which golf holes were they so three golf holes at Dundonald links were remodeled mentioned in the podcast which golf holes were they and you can send your answers to bill.donald at lochlomond.com l-o-c-h-l-o-m-o-n-d.com or you can dm my twitter account at billdonald1 and we will be doing the draw uh, and the winners will be announced on next week's podcast. Thank you.